Let's turn now to look at the Gospel of Luke and chapter 10. And verse 17. Luke 10 and verse 17. The seventy then returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see, for I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see and do not see them and to hear the things you hear but uh, do not hear them then someone questions christ and he ends up telling the parable of the the samaritan that we call the good uh, samaritan and then in verse 38 the chapter comes to a close verse 38 now as they were traveling along he entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her service. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone. Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I mentioned as we approach the Lord's Supper uh, that there are feasts in the Gospel of Luke. And it's interesting as you look around these feasts, Jesus has so many interesting interactions with the people at either these localized meals or the great feasts. And just by the design of God's Word, as I mentioned this morning, there are these examples of people who the Holy Spirit has recorded and they're at Jesus' feet. And we saw this morning that woman who was in sin and what she did when she came in and how she showed her devotion and worship and adoration for Christ and her love for him. And because of what he had done for her and she did that at his feet. We have another instance here 
of someone at Christ's feet. And uh, next Lord's Day morning, God willing, uh, we'll look at John's Gospel, uh, where this woman again is at Christ's feet in John chapter 12. And then in the evening service, uh, Mary Magdalene at the end of John's Gospel, where she is at the tomb, and she is at Christ's feet also. So we, we have these uh, people um, at Christ's feet. And in this situation here, the short passage from verse 38 to 42 that describes Martha and Mary's home, uh, it takes us to Jerusalem, and it may have been the time of a feast of some kind. Luke is not specific. Um, it's likely that preachers had gone out before Christ met this family. And that's why I read the earlier verses. That's how that ties in. Jesus um, sent apostles out in waves. He sent 12 out first, but then he sent a large group of 70 who he had trained. He sent them out throughout Israel to prepare the way for him. And they, they moved out through towns and villages. And Jesus gave them very specific instructions at the beginning of chapter 10 to go, I send you out as sheep, uh, sorry, yeah, lambs among the wolves, uh, carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals. And whatever house you enter, say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, let your peace, uh, peace rest upon it. And then he speaks about the way that some people will welcome this gospel message that he's sending through the 70, and he speaks about those who will reject it. Woe to Chorazin, woe um, to Capernaum and these other places, because there are homes that are going to reject this message. And he tells them, if you're rejected, walk out and shake the dust from your feet. These people have rejected the kingdom of God for themselves. And it's likely that Luke ties this in here because um, they've gone out and seen demons cast out and people being saved and some families receiving this message. And this is an example of a family that's received the message. And the narrative takes us to Jerusalem, two miles outside of Jerusalem, to a home that would become very important and very special to our Lord. And it is the home of Martha. And Mary and Lazarus probably live there uh, with her. But she's given prominence here. We're told it's her home and that she's doing a lot of serving. She's organizing this. And what has perhaps happened is the family have received gladly some of the apostles. And the Lord hears about this and the Lord meets this family and there's an immediate affinity between him and the family. Certainly, I would say, I hope I'll demonstrate it to you, certainly uh, Mary is special in this family and probably uh, the Lord had a bond with Lazarus because of Lazarus's receptivity to the gospel. You'll remember when he died, they all said, the one whom you love, see how much he loved him. Um, Jesus had these kinds of relationships, and they just uh, arose in the circumstances. Jesus had a real human nature, and he wanted real company, and he found rejection difficult. And he, he, when he saw grace, when he saw great faith, you remember any time he saw great faith, how much it meant to him. When that centurion believed more than any of the Jews, Jesus was so moved and he appreciated it so deeply. He says, man, I've not seen faith like this in the whole of Israel. Well, the whole of Israel, there are people that have the kind of faith the centurion had within this family. And we know from the other Gospels that Jesus then began to stay with them any time he was at a feast. We know he was um, there when he would have his feet anointed by one of the sisters, and we know that he stayed in Bethany because he walked into the city each day. That's where the famous incident with the fig tree occurred on his way into the city from Bethany on that last Passover week. And he saw Israel typologically in that fig tree. And he was hungry. He hadn't eaten in the morning. He'd left early. 
and he saw the fig tree, and you know the rest of the story. He, he came, didn't, had lots of leaves but no fruit, and he cursed that fig tree. And on their way back to Mary and Martha's house, on the way out of the city, Peter noticed, I think it was Peter or was it Philip, uh, noticed the fig tree. But that's not important for the moment. The point is he's staying there, and he, moved, he goes into the city in the morning, and he's in this cauldron of opposition. The, the whole church is arrayed against him. Large councils of very powerful, able men. And it's exhausting for Christ. And he disarms them with questions. He reveals the scripture to them. But there's this palpable hatred and suspicion and, and uh, danger of death. It's just there the whole time. His disciples are failing. There's weakness there. But he's going back to this house and he finds this as an oasis in the midst of all of this. It's a wonderful thing. The Lord was no, um, he wasn't living out in the desert somewhere by himself. He enjoyed being there. He, he could see Mary's receptiveness. He could see her insight. Um, he could see Lazarus's. Uh, we're going to say a few things about Martha in a moment, but he appreciated the family and stayed there. And incidentally, often they would be in that home and they would wonder where he was because we're told explicitly that he would leave the house and he would frequently go to the Garden of Gethsemane to be on his own or to be with some of the disciples, but I believe he went there on his own often. Um, and we're told that. That's how Judas knew where he would be. He was there so often. If he wasn't in the house and he wasn't at the temple, where is he? He's in the garden. Jesus would go from Bethany which is on one side of a small hill called the Mount of Olives. And he would go over the hill through the trees and the olive groves down into a deep ravine that then immediately would usher him into the temple, which was on the east side of the city. So he walks from the temple and on the way back to this home, the Garden of Gethsemane is there on the hill. And he found it and that he sought for it as a suitable place for him to spend a lot of time, not in the city, but in that garden by himself or with his disciples, and Judas knew about it. So that's the situation here. Um, he, uh, what, what a wonderful thing, just before we make a couple of points here, what a wonderful thing that this family had the Lord in their home. And that should uh, immediately say something to us. What a privilege and what a wonderful thing out of all the families of the earth, the Lord says in the prophets, you alone have I known among all the families of the earth to have Jesus Christ in our home. They had him actually there physically. What a wonderful privilege that these things have been hidden from the wise and the prudent, but they've been revealed to babes. That the church is rejecting Christ, but this family embraces him. And salvation and grace and the blessings of God's covenant then begin to pour uh, through this family as they embrace this Lord. Mary finds herself born into the time when the Messiah would come. The, this Jewish family find themselves, out of all the Jewish families who lived, born and living at the time where they do not just believe in promises, but they see the thing carried out literally on their doorstep. And the King of Glory himself, the God who made them, the Father they long to know through the Jewish covenant, the, the God they long to know, he's there in the flesh in their home, and he favors them and blesses them. What a wonderful thing. And he, that's what he's done to us all. If we know him and we have the flame of the love of Christ in our souls, we are no different than this family. Keep him in your home. Welcome him in your home. Honor him in your home. That home is for him, and it is an empty home without Christ, as we all learn and as many people sadly experience in this life, emptiness and meaninglessness as they live their daily lives. But it's not meaningless when you have Christ in your home. And the reason this passage is here is that it, it really creates a contrast, a dichotomy between the two sisters in the family. Lazarus, I don't think, is even mentioned here. No, he's not. The two sisters in the family. A contrast is clearly given 
between the two of them. And I want us to see it and, and look at each of them in light of ourselves as, as we look at them. And the situation is clear. It's another meal, just like this morning. An important time. He's been to Jerusalem several times. He's well known. Everyone in the land is speaking about him. The government is speaking about him. The church courts are speaking about him. Jerusalem, at every feast, they're saying, will he come up to the feast? They all know of this person in which um, a large following has burst forth among the Galileans and down towards Judea. And they're all intrigued and they all have questions and opinions about this man. And they're given word, Martha's given word, that Jesus is coming. People go before and say, the Lord is coming. And she makes preparation because he will be staying in their home. And a meal is held and there is much serving to be done. There's cooking and preparation to be done and seating and cleaning to be done. And all kinds of things to make the home ready to receive Christ and his 12 disciples and whoever else is there. And Martha is obviously very anxious about this and wants it to go exactly right. Uh, It's uh, a time of honor for her and her home to have this great rabbi, this well-known, people are saying is a prophet, to have this person in her home. They had waited 400 years without a prophet And then all of a sudden, John the Baptist and Christ come. And to have one of them in your home, that's a big deal. That's like having the president or something in your home. And we can see the contrast immediately. The Holy Spirit uh, tells us uh, what it is. That Martha is very distracted with much serving. She is literally full of cares. It means to be pulled in many directions sometimes used of the drawing of a sword from one side to another. So it it doesn't give us the full impact of uh, what Luke's saying if we just take our English translation. She was distracted. It's, It's more than that. She is full of care about this with much serving. It says preparations there, the word diakonos. She, we get the word deacon from that. She is, she's serving practically. There's lots of handwork to be done. And Martha thinks this is very important. And it is important. Hospitality is important and commanded in Scripture. It's wrong to say all that matters is the spiritual. Food doesn't matter. It does matter. The Lord even said, not long after this, as he preached on the Mount of Olives, that on the last great day, he will say, you did not give me something to drink. You did not clothe me or visit me in prison. And that those who profess will say, when did we ever neglect to do those things for you? And he said, if you did not do it to these, the least of my brethren, so you did not do it to me. So he's even saying there, the faith and justification of our lives as Christians, it doesn't hang on the hospitality and the practical, but it is clearly consistent with it. You can't have a stirred-up soul for Christ that loves Christ and loves the spiritual and not find it trickling out in these practical ways. It will be there somewhere, and it will be consistent, um, it will be frequent, um, it will be done for the right reasons, and it will be done spiritually with Christ at its center. So the hospitality does matter. There is a place for it. That same apostle James said, "'Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith with my works.'" And if someone comes to your door and you say, bless you, you know, be well, be warm, that man's religion is useless. There is a physical reality that comes out of our faith. But I don't want you to be obsessed with it and to think that that's what Christianity is and that you have to have a list of the, the 50 practical things you're going to do for the Lord's people. No, make sure you love Christ and it will come out. You will make the time to do it because the heart is connected to God and that's what God is like. But Martha is looking at it and it's more of a problem for her. This is not just a Christian 
who's a little bit too focused on hospitality. Though Christ appreciates hospitality, he said this morning, didn't he, you gave me no water for my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. He notices it and he appreciates it in its place. Martha doesn't have it anywhere near its place. This is who she is. And it is not being done in the right spirit. It is not being done positively or graciously. This is a woman, and it's almost like at this moment, this is all she has. This is what's important. And you can tell there's a problem in her heart because the Lord is at the home. There's a fellowship ensuing, and the Lord is speaking. The Lord is teaching kind of like a sermon and Martha doesn't stop Martha doesn't focus on it because she is justified continuing what she's doing because it's not finished yet and it needs done and you see the problem manifests itself more it's not only her but she then judges her sister and is angry with her sister for not helping In other words, I am right. This is what we ought to be doing. And look at my sister. Pretending this doesn't need to be done and pretending that she's not noticed me and pretending to listen to this. She is not noticing me. Um, Worse. And I'm I'm trying to show you how bad this is. This is usually presented as a spiritual Christian and a practical Christian. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Mary is the kind of heavenly, meditative person who doesn't do a lot of practical things. She likes to read and meditate and talk about Jesus, but she wouldn't help in the kitchen. Martha gets things done, but she, it just gets a little out of hand here. It's, it's more than that. This is not a spiritual and practical Christian She not only is doing that and viewing her sister that way, look at where the heart is. She goes into the room, verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving or preparation, and it says she approaches him and says, Lord, what does it say in in the NASB? She came up to him. Now this is the idea of bursting in. It's a a strong word. It means to stand over something. Sometimes it's used in the New Testament of something quite violent. This this word is sometimes translated, she she confronted him about this. So he's speaking. There are people watching Mary's concentrating, Martha's brewing up, and it gets to such a stage in her that she bursts in while Christ is speaking, and she addresses Christ in front of everyone. She confronts him and stands over him. If she literally stood over him, he was probably seated. Many of the teachers would sit as they spoke. And she stands over him, and she says, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. And then she commands him with an imperative. Tell her to help me. She, she, she gives Christ a command. This is someone who's angry. This is someone, this is not a happy woman. This isn't just a one-off. This is, this is not someone at peace with her heart and mind in the right place. This is not someone calm. This is not someone that has the right priorities at all. This is someone who, though she has the honored prophet in her home, when push comes to shove, she has no hesitation whatsoever, interrupting in a completely inappropriate way and speaking in a very disrespectful way to Christ. And hear it, don't you care? Now, that, that doesn't just mean, are you concerned about this? She, she's impugning him. 
The other place in the gospel where that's said is when the disciples sin so grievously in the boat against Christ when he sleeps. And the storm comes. And when they should have said, Lord, help us. Lord, have you noticed this? No, don't, do you not care? Now that's not as benign as you think. God wants us to be honest. Many of the Psalms are honest. Is the Lord no longer kind? Has the Lord forgotten me? There's a line we can reach as honest, faithful Christians, even questioning God. Where are you, Lord? Lord, can you hear me? Lord, why is this happening? But when it reaches, you don't care. That is when it leaps and, uh, into a pool of sin. And she's rebuking Christ here. Don't you care? Haven't you noticed what I've noticed? Mary's sitting right in front of you. Haven't you noticed? I've noticed. And what she's really saying to Christ is, I'm working hard around the room and in the kitchen, and you've not noticed me. Don't you care? Big problems in her heart. These words that... that, that description there gives you an idea of the problems and trouble that are in this woman's heart. And by the way, we're speaking about our sister here. This is an elect child of God who embraced Christ and had great faith in Christ. Um, but in this moment, as we're describing her, it's not to just pull her down. It's because this is the real condition and we may find it in ourselves and we have to examine that's the, that's the problem. And that in the very short passage there, Luke is giving a very vivid and boisterous picture of Martha. And what seals it as an even deeper problem is what is revealed in our Lord's response. That's where you find the truth. Now, we can make our own assessments of Martha, but when we listen to the words of Jesus, he tells us exactly uh, what is going on. And he says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, uh, you are worried and troubled about so many things, but one thing is necessary. So as we, I, I, I want to say one section here about Martha and one about Mary based on Christ's response. Let's do Martha first. Christ responds to Martha. And his response, maybe not at first glance, but if we consider it carefully, reveals something serious um, about Martha. You don't get, people read this, uh, and that's not usually taken that way. She's worried and troubled, put it right. But let's take, sometimes Christ's words are quite sparse, but let's take what they mean. He says to her, you are worried. That is the word anxious, and this is strong, a strong word for being anxious. It means to have your mind so divided that it's in pieces. Her mind is in pieces all over the place, and they're moving quickly, and she's anxious. She's got all these things. You are anxious about many things, so many things in the plural a large amount of things. And Christ is acknowledging that. You, there's a lot of things going on with you, Martha. And you've brought this up and you've laid down the gauntlet in front of the whole room. So let me tell you as the searcher of hearts, there's a lot going on in you. A lot of thoughts. A lot of feelings. A lot of distresses and complaints. You are watching everything and you are looking at the world at a certain level and you are very focused on the practical and your mind is divided into pieces over all this. You are anxious and in pieces. And then he says you are bothered or troubled about many things. And this word means to be in uproar or to be noisy. Sometimes used of a city in the book of Acts. Whenever Paul went into a city, most of the time it ended up in an uproar. And that's the same word. It's, it's a word in Greek that we get our word turbo from. A turbo uh, jets up 
and whatever it's doing, it makes a lot of noise. And there is power and unction in the thing. Now, you put those together. He doesn't say, you've got it slightly wrong. This is how he describes this woman. You are, your mind is divided into lots of pieces. And um, there is a clamor and a clanging and a noise in your soul. And you are disturbed and distressed and not in order and not at peace. And Martha is that. That is how she carries out these tasks. She wants to be joyful and happy and to serve as a Jewish woman. But so often, as it is with people like this, they want things to go. They want this to work out the way they've planned it. And when it doesn't, the whole thing falls to pieces because there's no anchor in her soul. There is no real peace in her soul. If there was, she wouldn't look at Mary like this and she would certainly would not look at the Lord like this. Now, I'm aware that Peter rebuked the Lord. I'm aware that the disciples often questioned the Lord. Here, I don't know if Martha is converted at this point. The family has met Christ. Mary's responded Maybe she was a believer since her teens. I don't know. Martha, I'm not sure. And it's not just because she's anxious like Peter was or she rebuked Christ like Peter did. And it's not just because she's turboed up and full of anxiety that I'm saying that. Many Christians struggle with anxiety. There's all kinds of things that can go wrong in us. And we've all struggled with it in some sense. But, that, but Jesus reveals more, and he says, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen it, and the implication being, you haven't. You haven't. And I don't think he's saying, Mary's chosen to listen, and you've chosen to do the dishes. He, he takes the small, irritating opportunity to reveal something deeper. He's not speaking to her about dishes. He's saying, this reveals a deeper problem, Martha. Your sister has made a choice. She has chosen the good portion, literally the good inheritance. She has chosen the Jewish inheritance. She has chosen the Abrahamic inheritance. She has chosen the portion of the Lord. She has made a choice. And because she has, she behaves like this. She's listening to Christ. You notice the contrast. You are troubled about many things, but there is one thing that's needed, and Mary has chosen it, and you haven't. Now, I don't want to go further than that. I'm fairly uh, comfortable to to sit in an area where I I think what the Lord's telling us here is that Martha has not made that choice yet, and I'm willing to discuss it uh, with you. But there's clearly a contrast here. You've got all this going on, Martha. Many choices, many things, lots of things. There's one thing necessary, and I don't see it in you. And that's a shame when we see things like that. It happens in the church. The church is full of people like myself and yourself, and people that um, have come to know the Lord, if we have assurance of that, and uh, um, if the Lord is... Through comparing ourselves to Scripture, we, we, we have a, a genuine sense that we know the Lord and that we've heard from the Lord and that Christ is ours, but the church is large. There's many people all over the place that think all kinds of things about the Bible and about Christ and about salvation, and Jesus knew it. It's, it's the basic, it's basic Christianity ABC that the field has wheat and tares in it, that the field is mixed. That the, the seed falls on ground and there's all kinds of reactions that look, spring up with joy or spring up with a kind of obedience, but then it falls away. And we find this in the church. People that are very willing to serve, they're very busy, uh, they're maybe strong-minded, they'll sign up to do things, uh, they'll be in and they'll clean, uh, they'll print things for the church, 
Uh, They're willing to be involved in things. They want to get things done. But you're in the church and you try and do something as a Christian family and all of a sudden you, you you find these kind of conflicts and resentments that sometimes you wouldn't find in a worldly office. But you find it in the church because people's self-righteousness is primed up. We're doing church things. We're doing Christian things. We are, I, we're all doing this for God, and I think this is right. And things like this happen, and the Marys can get stomped on. They can get stomped on by people like this. What does the Lord think of it? Well, it may be the case. It may be the case that there's something great missing from Martha's life. I don't think I'm taking that too far. This is a rebuke of the Lord. She rebuked him. He rebuked her. When he rebuked Peter, Peter wasn't meant to shrug his shoulders at that and say, I think it's a metaphor that Christ is calling me Satan. Christ wanted Peter to be insecure. He was too secure in himself. And when he said, you shall be called Satan, that haunted Peter until Judas hung himself and until the Lord restored Peter. He was the only one that Christ called Satan. And he was meant, he shook Peter with that. Here he rebukes Martha and it's meant to shake her. And I believe it does shake her. She's not expecting this. You don't complain like this unless you feel you're going to get a good hearing. And we complain to the Lord even about each other and we think we'll get a good hearing. Can't you see this person is doing this? And we think he's just going to agree with us immediately. Well, Martha is shocked. You're on all these things, Martha. You think these things matter. They don't. One thing matters, and you don't have it. Mary has chosen it, and it will not be taken from her. That's not hospitality. Mary has chosen the good thing, and it wouldn't be taken from her. That's, th- this is deeper. This is deeper. So he, he rebukes um, and Martha. And we have to be careful of uh, these things, either in others, as we have to exist wisely in the church and make discernments as we can, and we always have to examine ourselves as to what the substance of what we call our Christian faith really is. Is the substance love? Is it heeding the word of Christ? Is it a heart religion? Is it a religion of the affections? Is it worship and awe? And do we take the main thing and do we put it up high and then see all the rest as optional if we have time? But this main thing is what we live for. There are so many people that do so many things and they miss and are missing the one thing that is needful. Herod did many things when he heard John. He did many things. But he didn't have the one thing needful. I read from Paul. Look at all I had as a Pharisee. Look at all I had in my training and my heritage. Look at all I've done in the church. Look at all the churches I've planted. I saw the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven. I've trained Timothy and Titus and all these men. The church knows that I am Paul. Their father in the faith with the authority of an apostle. But what, what is the sight of a true Christian just like Mary? And the last analysis, Paul says it, and he's not trying to be clever. He's being honest. There are many things I count as rubbish. And one thing I do. One thing. I press on towards Christ for me. The upward call and my resurrection and my security in him. And Paul said, I love the church, but I'll leave it. To depart is far better. But if he wants me to stay, I'll stay and suffer and I'll do this. But it's not what I want. That isn't what I am. I'm not troubled about many things, Paul would say. Because there is one thing that is needful. So Paul is a living, enfleshed example of exactly what Jesus says here. There are two types of... I remember him in 2008 when a light switch went on in my own Christian life. I think it was maybe Paul Washer I was listening to or someone like that. 
I can't remember, two religions in the world. The religion of works and the religion of grace, and that's it. And everyone is in one of these religions. Only two religions. And I believe Martha's either fully or one, one foot in the religion of works. When you're in works, you are spending yourself. You are doing things. You are here, there, and everywhere. You're self-analyzing. You're giving yourself the marks of how well it was done. Christ isn't present in the thing. There is a Christ. There is a Christ that you objectively know exists somewhere. And you're somehow trying to do it for him or for another God or whoever. But it's all this anxiety and effort and doing meals and things like this and making sure it's all as it ought to be. But the religion of works misses the one thing needful. The embracing of Christ in the heart. A love for Christ. A communion with Christ. A marriage to Christ. You know if you're married that the marriage is the thing. It's not the driveway, the house, the leaves, the attic, the carpets, the kitchen. They may all be necessary in their own way. How many people, they live for those things. That is all they have. Stuff. And Martha has stuff. And the works-braced religion is full of stuff and things to do. That is what Christ reveals about what Martha does. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, Supper, a Martha can understand the Lord's Supper. A Martha takes the Lord's Supper and places it on the same table as the rest of the works. I've seen the session. I know what the elements mean. I know we should do this regularly. I think I'm supposed to concentrate as we do this. It is to do with the, the death of Christ. But there's a lack of connectivity. There's a short circuit somewhere. Of course we know from church history that all kinds of people can sing and raise up a vocal prayer, even preach, and certainly take a Lord's Supper. And it's nothing but a work. That isn't what the Lord's Supper is. The Lord's Supper is, it is finished. It's all done. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to him. I'm not doing this because I think it adds another percentage to my good person record. No. No good person goes to the Lord's Supper. We are never so conscious of our own sin as when we attend the Lord's Supper. And we go down there empty and we go down there thankful that we are empty and that we're exposed because you need to let it all go and you just need to be before Christ and you can see all he has done. Martha isn't focused on what he's going to do or what he's done or what he's saying at the moment. I'm not saying this to be harsh at her. I'm saying it because this problem is dangerous. This, this, this can affect eternal matters for any soul. This is where I believe Martha is. Now, where's Mary then? Well, she has chosen, Christ says. Verse 42. One thing is needed. Mary has chosen. What's needed? The Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. Jehovah. The God of Israel. The God of man. The gracious, covenanting God. The God who revealed himself in Israel in their tribes and allotments, and gave them a temple and a religion and a truth and the word of God, and now has given them his son. That's what's needed. And Mary's a a Jew, and there's many things for her to be distracted by. She lives right next to Jerusalem. And once a year, all these lambs are slain, and the priests are in their robes, and they're offering incense, and there are thousands of them, and there are Roman soldiers everywhere keeping order, and there are hundreds of thousands, if not a million, worshippers coming to Jerusalem. And it all looks so fantastic and glorious. And Mary's in amongst all of that. She meets Christ. She hears his words. She listens carefully. She knows this man is different. She's heard rabbis. She's been to synagogue every week. She knows this is different. 
No man ever spoke like this man. This man unfolds Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. This man speaks in a way that speaks to my soul. And when he speaks, the expressions on his face, when you look into his soul as you look into his eyes, there is something different here. This man's staying in our house and we watch him. There is something different about him. Some say he's John the Baptist. Some say he's Elijah, one of the prophets. Some say he is the Christ. And Mary, I believe, has realized he's like Elijah, but without sin. He doesn't sin. He speaks wisely. He answers questions and unfolds the scripture. And Mary is drawn to him. There's the difference. She is drawn to him. And she chooses him. The Lord is the part she chose. Christ is the portion she's chosen here. She's not just chosen to listen to him. She's chosen him. Martha may believe she has chosen him too. I don't believe Martha's actively in that sense trying to reject it. But you know the difference. You know the difference. Mary has seen Her eyes have been opened by the Holy Spirit and she has chosen the good portion. And what does that do for her? Well, you'll see um, how she behaves and what's important to her, what her priorities are because of this choice. She listens to him. In verse 39, She had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and she was hearing or listening to his word. And she's right at his feet. However many are in the room, she's near him and it's time for the dinner to stop. It's, It's time for the activities to stop. And Mary goes and sits there so she can hear him properly And she stares at him and she listens intently to everything he's saying. She's probably not aware of some of the other things that are going on. Why? How often do you have this in your house? You know? How often? The Son of God. Who knows what he was speaking about? Was he speaking about the Exodus or the Lamb of God? Was he... Was, was he unfolding the law in Deuteronomy? Was he unfolding a great passage from Isaiah or a passage from the kings and giving insights and clarity and certainty to things that Mary has never heard before? Whatever he's saying, look at the choice she made. It makes her a listener. This woman knows how to listen. And what a gift that is. Faith comes by hearing. And there is, in a sense, no greater gift we can have as men or women than the ability to hear the words of God. We take it for granted, but it is a spiritual gift. There are so many in the church and they can't hear. Not necessarily talking about our congregation, but don't take it for granted that everyone hears. Some people wouldn't even physically listen. They, they, They only listen for a few minutes and then Their mind is completely somewhere else. But even people who try and listen for so long, they can't hear the thing. It doesn't make sense to them. The natural man cannot perceive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. No, you need to get a taste for this. The Word of God to the Christian is honey. The words of Christ are honey. And honey is easily received and immediately appreciated. To some other people, the Word of God is like stale bread. And they think, I'm a churchgoer, I'm a member, I profess Christ, I've got to eat this. And they crunch away, and to them it's stale bread, not to Mary. She has the ability to listen because the heart has been renewed. The Spirit of God is enabling her to connect with the words of Christ. And she is receiving these words. She is a listener. Are you a listener? Do you love listening to the Word of God? And the main test of that isn't always your ability to listen to your, your pastor. There are all kinds of 
problems and frailties and fallenness in that uh, situation. But you know what I mean when it's the reading of the word, the hearing of the word preached, or a chance to have fellowship together where the word of God is going to be discussed. Is that, uh, are, are there Marys there? So if I say, let's, let's have a fellowship at some point in a few weeks in, in the hall out there and we're, we're going to look at God's word together or speak about some aspect of Christ or from the gospel, uh, how many Marys are there who say, I'll be at that. I will sit and I will be intent. I will be on the edge of my seat. I want so much more of Jesus. I want to know more. I want to dwell on that word. And in that, there are too many Marthas where there's always something else to be done. Something that is more instinctive and natural that comes into the mind and says this needs to be done and it is then instinctively done. And it... People move instinctively away from where they ought to be. Because when Christ is speaking, there is only one appropriate place to be, and that's at his feet, listening carefully and intently and honoring God and yourself. Have some self-respect. God made us to listen. God made us to be logical. He gave us brains. He wants us to hear and to think. He wants us to concentrate Now, there's all kind of physical reasons sometimes we can't concentrate. I experience that too. But you know the point. Sometimes we we, we act about one another. We treat each other like ducks or something like that, as though we don't have the ability as men and women made in the image of God just to sit and listen to the truth from the only source of truth in the universe. It's right here. And he made us to be able to listen to it. Mary's got it right. Mary doesn't sit there and say, oh, this, this is tough. You know, uh, Mary, Mary wants to be there. Where else would I be? What else would I be doing? I love to hear about the kingdom of God. I love to hear about how sins are forgiven. I love to hear the grace and the mercy of Christ and him unfolding the beauties of God to me. It makes her listen, and it makes her sit. To sit at his feet, that's where she was. She sat at his feet to hear the word, and that just, and I'm saying this briefly, it's a small point, that just shows her reverence, her attentiveness, that she's interested and even enthralled with what he's saying. She hears each thing he says and she thinks, this is brilliant. I'm so glad I'm here and that I'm able to hear this. She drinks in every word. And as she sits in that reverence and attention and even being enthralled with what he's saying, she's at peace. Notice that. Look there. She's at peace. She eats when it's time to eat. Then Jesus wants to speak. She stops what she's doing. She sits there and listens, and she is at peace. Her sister is not at peace. And peace is very valuable. I'm sure some of you, especially as you go on in life, discovered the value of peace, if it's real peace. When we're very young, we think we have this kind of peace, and we're very positive in these things. But we learn as we go through life that peace is a very rare thing, and it might be the most valuable thing true peace before God. Mary's at peace because she has chosen the good part. She's made her choice. And Christ's work that will be done soon on the cross retroactively justifies her, as all these Old Testament believers were. She is beginning to understand something is going on in her lifetime And she wants to be near it, and she knows it's very important. She knows that this has something to do with the forgiveness of sins. And because she has embraced him, and she's listening to God's word, and I believe she's a prayerful woman, she is at peace. 
She's in her home in Bethany hearing this in the peace of Bethany. And she has that treasure, uh, that very precious portion that unfortunately at the moment I believe her sister uh, does not have. Um, Let me close with this. Look at how Christ protects the people that make the right choice. He rebukes, I think, carefully. It's not a scathing rebuke he gives Martha here, but it is a rebuke. He protects Mary. Not long after this, Mary is going to show her devotion. We'll see it next Lord's Day morning. She's going to show her devotion again in a great outpouring of love and spirituality that completely outruns any Pharisee or priest that's alive at the time. She shows an insight and a a class as a Christian. Depth, perception, devotion. He is all mine and I am all his and I will do this for him. And what happens to her? She's attacked again. The disciples attack her, led by Judas. Judas attacks her. So you see, see these themes come up in the gospel. I think that's why I've chosen this at the feet kind of theme. Because it, it is interesting. She's at his feet all the time. And she's the one that's doing God's will. But she is always attacked for it. She's attacked by Judas. And we know why that is. She's attacked here by her sister. And each time the Lord defends her. We'll see next Lord's Day morning when, when the disciples pipe up about this. Um, I think he says, let her alone. I would have to look at it again, but it's something like that. Leave her alone, he says. Here, he just says, she's made a great choice. Like, you, you need to look at yourself. Mary's choice here rebukes you, Martha. You need to be disarmed here. Just remember that. The Lord allows all kinds of things to happen. And he allows suffering. And he says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Um, We want him to make this sting-free experience, but it won't happen. We will get stung. But if we're making the right choice, if Christ is prime, if Christ is over all, and he is the object of your worship and you're living for him, when, when that is attacked, then you just watch for Christ intervening and guarding as a king and shepherd his own people. Now, maybe leave with a, a segue uh, to get you ready for next Lord's Day morning. Mary's very devoted she's beginning to understand things. And we're going to see next time how far that understanding actually went. She understands more than we know or usually give credit to her for. By the time Christ is in Jerusalem for that last Passover, she has come to a point where from his preaching and his interactions with her, she understands something that even the twelve don't fully understand yet. She comes to a realization and a depth of understanding of what Christ is going to do. She understands that he will die. Martha here, I think, lacked a lot of that understanding. But remember that Martha did come around. And when the brother died, Martha acted in faith and belief in the resurrection and in Christ as the resurrection and the life. So just remember that not long after this. It may be this very situation that did it to her. Sometimes it comes to a crunch point and people are living that way and uh, they're very determined in that course of action and it's all they know and something happens like this, and the Lord says something. 
and it can just change things and open things out and reveal what's truly important. So as we leave tonight, watch, watch for that. Watch uh, as you're acting all these things out. We can go down wrong paths and have all kinds of wrong thought patterns and uh, approaches to the things of God. And you just watch if you're in a situation like this. Watch for God dropping his truth into that situation via the word, via the preaching, through your providence, whatever it is. Watch for the Lord coming to you when you're saying something like, don't you care that this is good and that this person is... Well, you watch for the Lord and watch for him saying, Martha, Martha, you're disturbed about many things, but there's one thing. And he will make sure, if you're his, that you are on uh, that one thing. May God uh, bless his word uh, to our needy uh, souls.